you don't know when it's not a sport controlled environment and you don't want to find out a lot of people think they want to find out but again if channel that in a way that doesn't put your life or others lives at risk and go join uh, an mma gym hello again cherished listeners and thanks as always for tuning in to the what's going on here podcast for episode seven we're sticking with the theme of sharing our own expertise as guests on our own show Today, we're talking all things self-defense with my co-host, Griffin Coombs. Griffin's a self-defense teacher, researcher, and practitioner. A lifelong martial artist, he took the official plunge into the world of self-defense and personal safety in 2011 when he began his training in Israeli Krav Maga. Alongside seven years of week-in, week-out training, Griffin spent the time teaching self-defense both as a personal contractor and as an affiliate of the preeminent Krav Maga Training Center of the Northeastern United States. Now in Tangier, Morocco, his research, teaching, and training continue in the most eclectic form to date. In this conversation, you'll hear him addressing the differences between martial arts and self-defense and how to effectively balance your training. We also get into the fundamentals of situational awareness, we discuss the glorification of violence in self-defense training, and lots more. Now, without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Hey, what's going on here? here? Griff, we are excited to have you as our guest this week, talking all things self-defense. I'm excited to be a guest. I was was jealous of you in the last episode that you got to be a guest sharing your expertise, so I'm happy it's my It was pretty fun. It was a good time. Yeah, and it, it was actually a good time sort of interviewing you as the on the other side of it too. So, yeah, we yeah. we we I mean, I think we have a lot to uh, to offer offer you and I uh in different ways. So, why not yeah, take advantage like of that? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, um I think just just starting here and I know I kind of said this um, in your intro about a little bit of your background, but can you just walk us through what your background is in self-defense? Sure. Um, so I'll start, I'll start when I was a kid with martial arts because, and we'll talk about this later, I'm sure that martial arts and self-defense are not the same, but oftentimes mm-hmm. they complement each other and, you know, training in one might be related to training in the other. And it was the case for me, just having an interest in the martial arts, I, when I was, I think, 10 years old, in the late 90s, I started Taekwondo um, and then, you know, stopped in a teenage, when I was a mid-teens, I think. Um, and then I, I kind of left the martial arts behind for a little while going through high school. and um, But it was always something I was interested in. In. And so I started getting back into some informal training in college um, with some guys who knew Kempo Karate and guys who knew uh, um, progressive fighting systems. It's like a modern adaptation of Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do concepts. And so mm-hmm. I did a little bit of that in college. And then um, once I was in my early 20s, I discovered a Krav Maga gym uh, in near Boston and Krav Maga is, it was kind of a fad at the time. It had just sort of surfaced in the mainstream world of self-defense. And it was also surfacing in the world of, of fitness, um, because, you know, hitting things and being aggressive and learning how to fight is a great workout. Um, and so I, I tried it out once I, I signed up my first class and I, I never looked back in that particular gym, um, I don't think I can mention it by name. I know they're they're pretty particular about uh, who who how they get publicized and who publicizes them and wh- what what they're perceived to be associated with and mm-hmm. such. So I'll leave their name out of this official description. But uh, but I was I ended up teaching there, getting a couple combative instructor certifications there. Um, went through the ranks, trained every single week. I mean, I never missed a week of training unless it was a vacation that the the gym was closed or I was injured, which wasn't very often. And for about seven or eight years, it just continued that way. So I was teaching there. I was training there. Um, At the same time, I also started teaching at a different school, a more traditional martial arts school um, for some extra work and just some extra immersion in, 
in martial arts and self-defense. And so I was kind of the reality-based self-defense guy um, at this tiny little gym. And there were people who were experts in Kung Fu, Kempo Karate, um, wrestling, Jiu-Jitsu, mixed martial arts. And so I would get a chance to train with a lot of those guys and spar with them in a bunch of different contexts and also teach with them or teach their, their students and they would teach my students. So it was a, it was a cool collaborative type of thing while at the same time training Krav Maga at this other place. And, um, then I came, you know, fast forward to 2017, I moved to Tangier and honestly, it's, it's tough here because nobody really teaches uh, proper self-defense. There's a lot of kickboxing. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of Taekwondo. Uh, and there's some, you know, mixed martial arts and jujitsu just getting off the ground here now. But in mm -hmm. terms of training for reality-based violence is very, it's almost non-existent. But I was able to find one guy who was kind of, he was an anomaly here. Um, mm. And he was crazy. He, j I mean, <laughs> I came here and I came here kind of in the prime of my physical condition, um, you know, hungry to keep training, to keep teaching, to keep exchanging martial arts and self-defense wisdom and, and everything with other people. And this guy, it's like 50 years old, shorter than me and i'm a short guy i'm like five six mm. so i don't know yeah. it's like 167 centimeters or something so this guy was shorter than me a couple decades older than me and um and not you know didn't really in explain himself as a krav maga guy or a jujitsu guy or whatever i didn't really know what he was ranked in or whatever and he would tell me stories about how he would uh he went to israel to train Krav Maga and he beat up the, the, a lot of the Israelis because they didn't have a lot of martial arts skills. And I mean, this, I was a little skeptical oh, wow. and then he just, he tossed me around. I mean, this guy was the real deal. So I had some students, he had some students. I was sort of his student for some things. He was sort of mine for other things. Um, but I mean, he was so skilled. And so we would try things out. We would test what worked, what didn't work. Uh, sometimes just the two of us, sometimes with our students. And um, he eventually left Tangier. And so now I've got all of this experience and that I'm I'm still training with in my own kind of weird ways now that there's uh, the COVID lockdowns and it's harder to actually have a class where you're, yeah. you know, putting your hands on each other and stuff like that. Uh, right. But when this... Yeah, it would but just be difficult to have a virtual self-defense class. <laughs> totally, yeah. Yeah, if you have a like a single student, you might be able to do that, mm. but Yeah. Um but yeah, just I mean, the real training comes from live training with a partner and then being able to change right. partners and and deal with different people, different body types, different tendencies and you just can't really do that. So, but I am teaching at a gym here uh if, you know, the the situation ever gets resolved the pandemic situation um mm -hmm. and and uh yeah that's kind of where i am right now that's cool what a background so you just mentioned a lot of uh different martial arts and so i think a lot of people um when it comes to self-defense it, just walk us through kind of the difference between those two, because I think some people go to, you know, the martial arts class, whether it's jujitsu, taekwondo, whatever it may be, and they're expecting a level of self-defense. Um, and I think vice versa, too, if they're just going to a self-defense class, maybe they're expecting maybe a little bit um, of the martial arts, too. But maybe that's not truly the case. And, and just walk us through those differences. Sure. Yeah, this is something that I'm really passionate about, actually, because people people just don't know and they conflate the two. And they are related, but they're they're two mm -hmm. distinct things. And there are actually there are three distinct things if if you wanna really dive into it. There's kind of the traditional martial arts, and then there's sport martial arts, and then there's reality based self defense training. Now, you're right that a lot of people 
they think one way or they think the other. Most commonly, they think if they go to a karate class, um, yeah. that that's going to teach them how to defend themselves. Right. Um, but uh, other people, you know, when they they hear people talking about self defense or krav maga or personal safety, they'll you know they'll say, "Oh yeah, don't don't you know karate or something?" And they'll put up their hands like in the two karate chop. Thing, yeah. You know, that position. And it's just like they they don't understand that we're talking about dealing with real world violence. Um, so your traditional martial arts are, you know, karate, taekwondo, kung fu, um, traditional Japanese jujitsu, um, things that were developed usually most of them in East Asia, at least the popular ones, um, mm-hmm. centuries ago centuries and sometimes i mean we're talking in many cases ancient especially in china a lot of them derive from shaolin kung fu even the japanese ones um but then then there's sport martial art and for the people who are a little more educated they tend to believe that if you're training mma or thai kickboxing or american kickboxing or boxing or brazilian jiu-jitsu which is a grappling martial art where you're uh it's it usually ends up taking place on the ground and your objective is to get your opponent to submit to give up by either mm-hmm. getting their joint in a lock or choking them and so all of these that involve live combat usually in a sport mm-hmm. setting that's become really popular especially with the ufc right. things like that um wrestling's another um ring sport or combat sport that's that's become really popular and they're very 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 effective for one-on-one combat so a lot of people think well i want to join an mma class to be able to learn how to defend myself and you will be way more adept at defending yourself from an mma class than you would be from a traditional martial arts class or from not doing anything at all and in fact, in some cases, MMA experts are more adept at defending themselves than reality-based self-defense experts, which I'll get into in a second. But the thing about the, the ring sport, boxing, MMA, etc., is that they only take into account one-on-one unarmed combat. Um, mm. so there's, and, and not only is it one-on-one and unarmed, but it's also planned. It's, so it's right. not, a lot of people understand the difference in rules, right? Oh, and there's no rules in the street. There's rules in MMA. You know, you can't stick your fingers in the eyes. You can't bite. You can't kick them in the balls. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can't manipulate fingers and snap right. fingers and con- stuff like it's that. It's a controlled situation. Yeah. But, but the control doesn't just extend to the rules. It's, it extends far beyond the rules. It extends toward right. the entire situation. Um, it, you know, the, the fact that it's one-on-one and it's guaranteed nobody else is going to jump into that fight. You right. know who you're fighting and you know when you're going to fight. So you have all this time to psychologically and physically prepare just for that person, just for that fight. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a referee who's going to stop the fight if somebody's getting really hurt. Whereas, you know, on the street, somebody might just keep stomping your face in until you're dead. Right. Uh, weapons, you know, there's there are no weapons and the, the environment is sterile, right? It's a flat mm-hmm. cage or ring where there's no there's no bumps or rocks or sand or broken glass on the ground. Um, mm-hmm. You're not trying to fight out of a car or anything like that. There's not the emotional or social component, the psych, the psychology of violence, of being unprepared and having to try to weigh your options and see if you can de-escalate a situation, talk your way out of it, um, or deciding when to be violent or when to hit, right? You, you right. don't have to do that in a sport. So all of these things, not just the rule set, but all of these things are what make reality-based training reality-based and sport right. training for sport. The last thing I'm going to say on this question about martial arts and self-defense is there, there is a downside to being an extremist on the reality-based self-defense uh, side. Because there are guys who take what I just said about what ring sport doesn't offer for, for training for, for violence, and they go off the deep end with it. And they say, 
they say, you know, you don't need to spar because sparring has rules and there are no rules on the street. And they start to delude themselves. Almost, they almost become a traditional martial art where it's like, well, we, we can't, our techniques are too deadly or, you know, we can't really test this. And what they get wrong is that the only way you're going to make your, whatever you think you're going to do physically, the only way to make that work is to develop martial art skills and to become more athletic and in tune with your body and making those movements happen. So the people who say like, yeah, well, I don't need to spar because I'll just, I'll just gouge them in the eyes or kick them in the balls. It's the street. It's not the ring. My, the, my short answer is no, you won't because you, if you, if you've never been in a sparring situation, if you've never, if you've never developed, you know, through boxing or MMA or or Muay Thai drills, how to generate power, how to move, how to gauge the distance between you and somebody else, how to how to control yourself under adrenaline. Because when you're sparring, there's consequences to what you do. You might get hit, right? And that hurts. All of these things, if you've never done that before, even in a controlled setting, you're fucked if you ever have to face violence. So you understand there's there's extremes to both sides. And like most things we talk about on this podcast, the truth is somewhere in the middle and you need a, a more balanced view to really get the most out of your training. Right. Yeah. So basically you would need both and you, you obviously want a lot of different skills and skill sets in your arsenal whenever you're in a situation that you need to defend yourself. And that makes so much sense. Um, so I want to, you, you talked about kind of, um, the psychology, um, behind like these situations, like versus like when you're in a ring, like obviously, you know, this is for sport and there's not that like, um, stress response, maybe, maybe like a little bit, but it's not anywhere near to, if you were facing a real world situation where, you know, violence was in front of you. So can you talk about kind of the psychology and like maybe the fight or flight response, um, when faced with like a real world violence situation? Sure. Uh, yeah, fight or flight is tricky because fight or flight, there's, there's also a freeze response. Right. And that's, that's more common in people than, than most of us would like to believe. Mm. And, and that, that's, I mean, that's the worst thing that could happen. You're, you, and, um, it, it comes from, usually comes from, um, a state of denial and or just not not have like I said before not training not putting yourself in stressful situations so not having a physical reference point visualizing right. helps um especially alongside training but you, you really do need to engage in situations that challenge you psychologically and that challenge you uh physically to be able to put it all together and what I mean by challenge you psychologically is to, to force you to make decisions. So mm -hmm. a, any training system that claims to be, f you know, for self-defense um, must include this. It has to include stress inoculation. It has to mm -hmm. include um, scenario-based training where it's not just about, about uh, executing a physical technique. It's about solving right. a problem. Right. And it's deciding if you even need to be physical at all and implementing different levels of decision-making, different types of consequences for decision-making. So to, to address long-term the psychological piece of dealing mm -hmm. with violence, the answer is to include it regularly in your training, to be as close to reality as you can simulate, which is hard to do. It's not always easy. But, you know, for people who are who are looking for uh, training in self-defense specifically, that's one of the things that you want to look for in a school or in a system that you're going to train. And which is yeah. one of the reasons, you know, again, I wouldn't doubt an MMA, professional MMA fighter's ability to handle himself mm -hmm. uh, on, on the street. But if you are just, if you're starting from square one and you're saying, I want to train in something and my goal is to to improve my likelihood of defending myself against violence in the real world i would not train 
MMA. I would not right. train jujitsu, et cetera. I would find a system and Krav Maga is great if it's, if it's properly done. There are a lot of bullshit Krav Maga schools that just teach you to put on a helmet and punch things too. Yeah. But if you can find Krav Maga or any kind of uh, more underground system of self-defense that addresses the psychology and talks about the state of denial and talks about de-escalating a situation and talks about what a, what a, the, the profile of a typical predator and how to avoid being a victim uh, and then builds this into the physical training with decision-making drills, that's a good sign that you're probably going to get a lot of value in your training. Yeah, that's great. I, I feel like a lot of people forget the psychology aspect of it. And I think it's just as important as the physical. So that's really good to know. I actually, <laughs> I have just a, a short little funny story. Um, this, it was, it was years ago, but, <laughs> um, Griffin, you were actually there. You were, so, so I was getting into my car, um, at our parents' house and they have a long driveway that's kind of like on a little bit of a hill. And I was, as I was getting into my car, I saw someone and this was nighttime. It, it was really late at night. I saw a guy in like this hood start coming up our driveway and I, I completely panicked. So I completely froze and this was like the freeze state for me. And I was trying, like my brain wasn't communicating to my body. Like all I wanted to do was open my car door and get into the car, but I physically couldn't do it. Like I legitimately froze. Then lo and behold, it was Griffin at the, at the, in the driveway. So <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was, it was scary, like for a moment. And my response was actually like, I just completely froze. So, um, and it was funny afterwards, but no. yeah, that response like, is scarier than the situation itself. It, it totally is. And like you, like for me at least, like I literally couldn't move. And like, I even at one point started to move my hand, but I couldn't get my door handle open. Like something I do every day, obviously, but I just couldn't get it open. <laughs> yeah. And the, the freeze response comes, you know, evolutionarily speaking, it comes from the not wanting to, and again, wanting, I don't mean consciously, I mean, on a very visceral, um, involuntary level hmm. of not wanting to move because you're not getting harmed right now. And maybe if you don't move, they won't see you. They won't detect you, you know, thinking about like animals. Yeah. Um, tens of thousands of, year, of years ago or whatever. Um, but it's also psycho from a psychological standpoint, that's the sense of denial kicking mm -hmm. in and causing you to freeze. Um, we, we developed denial as a coping mechanism that tells us we don't have to deal with something. When something becomes so overwhelming, it's, it's, it's traumatic. It's actually traumatic. You're experiencing trauma in the moment when you are faced with something that is so scary that to avoid completely shutting down, mm. you go into a state of denial that says, this isn't something I have to deal with. And you're there. You're just there. Because right. if you were to act, if you were to either fight or flight, right, run, run away or engage with the person, mm -hmm. that is your body admitting to you that there's a situation that's very stressful. So it's a way of kind of, yeah, it's denying that it's... Yeah, just um, denying the whole situation. And people, I, people will react to different situations differently. You're, so if you're somebody who freezes in one situation, you're not always going to freeze uh, or if you always, you're not always going to fight. I'll give an example. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give for another one that you were actually there and I had a freeze <laughs> response and you were the one who had to shake me out of the freeze response. Oh, and this was Spain, not right? very long. Yeah, yeah. In Spain. Yeah. So we're, we're at a, it was like, I, I don't even remember what it, we were on a family vacation to Spain. Our, yeah. the rest of our family was being boring and <laughs> you and I wanted to explore. So we were out drinking right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like this week long event of like, everything's outdoors, the bars open, like sides, 
out, out the side and they're serving uh, on the streets and everybody is like a huge block party for a whole neighborhood. Yeah. And it, it was happening. We were in Madrid and Barcelona and it happened in both. Like we were, it was like a countrywide thing. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. So we were, we had just ordered a beer from this outdoor corner and all of a sudden this dude like runs toward the bar and jumps over the bar and he's like screaming and he falls down onto the floor behind the bar and he's like cowering, like pushing himself, like backing himself sitting down into the uh, back of the bar area, like screaming, like pleading for people to help him and protect him. And then these guys come and they're chasing him. And I don't know what the hell was going on. Neither. But this was like a serious situation. And I was just so shocked by it. Like I had not processed it. And you were the one who shook me and was just like, come on, let's get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've been in other situations where I've been shocked um, Mm -hmm. and have either decided right away to get out of there or in some cases, you know, if someone puts their hand on me – engage not in an overly violent way but i've just you know i've been in in foreign countries too and it was just i don't know the maybe the alcohol maybe the dynamic of the particular situation but it just goes to show that you never really know how you're gonna respond so your training and regular training becomes that much more important yeah i think that's really a good point because then i feel like people might think like, oh my gosh, like I froze in this situation. Like I can't handle it. Like I'm, I'm always going to just freeze. And obviously that is not the case. So that's kind of, I think just good for people to know. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then not, you know, then not worrying about like, oh gosh, like I'm just going to freeze every time and not going to be able to defend myself. So yeah, that's, that's really good to know. Um, so I want to talk about, um, just like violence and maybe nowadays how we might glorify violence and um, we kind of like think this thing in our head where, okay, if there's um, a violent situation, say, I don't know, someone's, someone's attacking you and then, you know, you subdue the attacker, you're the hero in the story and then like everything's great. But I think there are a lot of steps in between and after that people don't necessarily talk about. Um, so if you could just kind of talk about that. Yeah, this is another thing I'm really passionate about. And it actually ties into your question about um, addressing the psychological side mm-hmm. of violence. Because if you're only addressing the physical side of violence, you don't understand what you're right. training for. Go, if you just care about the physical, go train in a sport. It's a great... It, you know, I love martial arts. I love sport martial arts. I, I practice them and train them regularly. Uh, and there's so much physically and mentally you can get out of joining a kickboxing gym or whatever, or sparring people. Go ahead and if you really want to prove yourself, go ahead and sign up for an amateur fight. But <laughs> if you're if you're training for for violence in the real world, to deal with violence, mm-hmm. and you're not addressing the psychology of it, that usually means that you you believe violence to be out there like it is in a movie or like it is in a boxing match mm-hmm. or an MMA fight. And it's that's just so far from the truth. And it, people really need to stop kidding themselves. I was doing a seminar here in Tangier and it was um, it was at this actually a really famous hotel that has a gym attached. Um, here in Tangier. And so I had all, I had um, ages like 16 up to 60 something. I had Moroccans, uh, Spanish people, a couple people who were tourists from uh, from the US and from Asia. Mm. So, I, you know, a, that's it's a lot of different um, demographics to get this message out to. And so I was teaching... Uh, a disengagement technique Mm -hmm. from, uh, I don't know, it might've been a knife or something, or maybe not even a weapon. I can't really remember, but you know, step one, uh, if you need to engage is to engage 
as quickly as possible with the purpose of then disengaging. Your whole your whole goal is to just get out of the situation safely. Mm-hmm. And if that's not always your goal, survival and staying safe, again, you're kidding yourself. So one of the young kids, he might have been, I don't know, a teenager, maybe early 20s. Mm-hmm. So I showed this and it was very quick. It was like kind of, I, I don't remember the technique. Um, but let's just say it was kind of a knife to the throat, kind of knocking the hand away, maybe slapping the groin and then running. Mm-hmm. And he was, I think what he said, uh, in kind of broken English was like, but should you not, uh, kick his ass? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, it was kind of endearing, you know, cause he was right, so young. Right. Right. But it just caused me, it just triggered this frustration I have and caused me to just go off, like, you know, started at the whole seminar. I'm just yelling, like, do you want, look at this knife. Do you want to kick, you want to try kicking someone's ass with this knife? But, (laughs) but, and maybe, you know, maybe that was a blessing in disguise because they needed to hear that message and I wanted them to hear it. And him, him saying that kind of caused them to hear it in the most intense way possible. Um, but he's, he's, you know, if you, like I said, if you want to kick someone's ass, there's plenty of sport opportunities for you to do that. Right. If your goal is always survival, if it's always, how do I get home? How do mm-hmm. I get home safely? How do I stop a person from doing violent things to me and or my loved ones and mm-hmm. leave this violent environment altogether? If that's truly your goal, then of course you're going to want to think about the psychological, not only the psychological things that happen to you, but Mm -hmm. your psychological tactics so that you don't even have to fight. And it's, it's not a, it's not a Mr. Miyagi ego based decision not to fight like, Oh no, don't worry. I'm too tough. I I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt you. You know, I just shouldn't, I really shouldn't, I really shouldn't fight. Yeah. Uh, because there are people like that who still secretly really want to fight. Right. But to but to remember that, okay, this person could have a weapon and I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I could be scrapping with them on the ground or, you know, grappling with them standing up. I could be stabbed seven times in the abdomen before I even realize there's a knife involved. Yeah. Uh, wild. I could, there could be a gun. There could be multiple attackers. I could he I might be a way better fighter than this guy, but I just slip on a rock and now right. I'm on the ground. Right. And if I didn't smash my head on the ground, then he's he's uh got five friends and they're all stomping me in the face. Or right. maybe there's somebody like a woman with the stiletto heels or something, or guys with steel toed boots. You don't know you don't know when it's not a sport controlled environment. And right. you don't want to find out. A lot of people think they want to find out. But again, if you if you want to find out, it's your ego talking and it's okay. But channel that in a way that doesn't put your life or others' lives at risk and go join a, an MMA gym. Right. Yeah, I think you highlight something important where you you don't want to engage in with them unless absolutely necessary physically, I mean. So it's like, I think... An example, like if someone's robbing you and they mm. ask for your wallet, like don't just try and be the hero and, and try and like hurt the robber or like try to physically engage with them. Just just throw the wallet as far as you can, right? And then give it, just give it to them, essentially. Yeah, I actually wouldn't throw the wallet necessarily. Um, but yeah, I, you would hand over the wallet. You hand over what mm-hmm. they ask for. And, and I think if people are, um, you know, most people, mm-hmm. even trained people are going to do that anyway, because right. especially if, if they have if a you're weapon. super well trained, yeah. You still don't yeah. need to engage in the physical. Which is a, a testament to how scary and how much of a risk it really is to engage somebody with a weapon. Because... Right a lot more people would have a reaction of like, ah, fuck you, and try to take the knife or punch him in the face right, or whatever. Right. But most people, if somebody has a knife to their throat or stomach or is pointing a gun at them and says, give me your wallet, they're going to be scared shitless and they're just going to give the wallet. Right Now, 
with training, that is also what I would recommend. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I would recommend that. And and I'm not the only but I'm not the only person who recommends this. Um, I didn't make this up. But mm-hmm. that if they want material possessions, uh, give it to them. Right. If there's a weapon involved, or there's there's not really even if you think you can take that knife or that gun from them or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, it's no amount of money, no material possession is worth finding that out. Right. So if they want you, uh, you know, if they want to take you somewhere, that's a different story. But in terms of material possessions, wallet, phone, uh, car keys, it doesn't matter. You're don't, don't, uh, try to be a hero. Right. Yeah. And, um, back to kind of like when you decide to engage in fighting, like if that's your last option, if you are going to fight, um, I think people also don't really realize the consequences that can come of that. I mean, obviously like you want to defend yourself in those situations, but sometimes you can end up really, you know, severely injuring the other person, even though they were your assailant and they were an aggressive person coming at you. I mean, there are still like psychological consequences and even like maybe um, criminal consequences of that. Can you just talk about kind of that? I don't think people a lot of the times think about that. Yeah, I totally, this is so important, but I just have to disclaim that I'm not, you know, I'm not a law enforcement. I'm not an attorney. I don't, officially uh i'm not a person who works with the law and don't can't offer any legal advice but just i mean you put it really well there are consequences there are legal consequences and there are some people in that in that uh you know certain self-defense glorifying violence kind of scene who say i'd rather be tried by 12 than carried by six (laughs) and I, I I just think that's kind of bullshit because yeah. you there are laws that you know there's manslaughter for instance mm-hmm. um, whereas if you kill somebody which is very possible you're gonna have to fa- face consequences and it's not you a lot of people say that the I'd rather be tried by twelve than carried by six they say that because. The justification is, well, I did everything I needed to do and at least I'm not dead. Like at least I, I, it might've been, I might've killed somebody, but you know, I survived. And in some cases, very extreme cases that might be necessary, but you're fooling yourself. If you are, if you're thinking that that situation is going to be the same every single time and that you don't have to consider legal implications when you're training there might be it might be a friend you might have a drunk friend mm. who is just you know had a little too much and you guys are in an argument and he grabs your shirt you know or he he uh grabs you by the hair or he throws a punch at you or whatever and so are you going to treat that situation the same as you know a knife wielding home invader who's going after your child if right. the answer is yes, go just just get out of here. <laughs> I don't know. Just, just please stop. That you just can't you just can't uh, conflate the two situations. So yes, you should train for extreme situations in case they happen. You should sort of psychologically inoculate yourself to for situations where you may need to beat somebody. Do, where it takes possibly killing them to eliminate a threat. Mm-hmm. But you also need to psychologically inoculate yourself for situations where there are gray areas and where you need to stop before your use of force becomes excessive and right. you go to jail. Or you, and you mentioned uh, psychological trauma. I mean, could you, could you imagine, you know, somebody was getting a little bit too physical on a drunken night at the bar or whatever, and you ended up killing another human being over something that stupid. Right. You can't train blindly. You can't train black and black and white as much as, as morally justified. We think we are sometimes when we envision that person, you know, breaking into our house and trying to kill us or trying to kidnap our child or whatever. You can't treat every situation like that. Right. And again, like in our 
culture in the media and in movies and TV shows, they don't show that side. They just show like, oh, the good guy ends up killing the bad guy in the end. And like, there are no consequences, but it's just not true. (laughs) So I think, yeah, that happens a lot. Um, So I kind of just want to go through maybe a couple of like situations um, that some people out there, some listeners um, may encounter or maybe even have been a part of. Um, Like, we'll just start with the basic, like, if if I feel like someone's following me, um, what steps do you recommend to do in those kinds of situations? And I've been, I actually, I've, I lived um, in Boston for a little bit. And I think I always was kind of on guard, um, about this. So I think people a lot in, in the cities and everything, um, are more aware of, of maybe someone following them. Yeah. So before I kind of give any advice on dealing with certain scenarios, Mm -hmm. just remember that every scenario is going to be different and there are certain principles that you can kind of follow and tactics that can, can serve as your foundation. Um, but there is no answer to what do you do if you're being followed because every situation is different Mm -hmm. and there might be one variable that doesn't, you know, if you treat every situation the same, if one variable is different and that's going to throw you for a loop and cause you to freeze because you weren't prepared for this and you don't know what right. to do. This wasn't what you were imagining. So the broader your principles and tactics can be, the more you can use them to kind of manipulate your responses based on the what you think is the best way way to handle yourself um, in many different situations. But with with following, there's a kind of a step by step thing that I can give you from um, comes from SEPs situation. I think it stands for Situation Effective Protection System. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was developed by Gershon Ben Karen. Uh, and he, if you go to womenselfdefenseboston.com, it's it's targeted toward women. Um, they have a free women's self-defense program, which is great. But also the principles are for anybody, male, female, young, old. Uh, so yeah, I would encourage you to go there. To it's all it's all free. It's a great resource online. But basically, where uh, when it comes to being followed, the idea is you your fear mechanism kicks in when you feel like you're being followed, whether you're actually being followed or not. It might be you hear the footsteps. It might be you you notice somebody behind you who maybe looks familiar, or they've been behind you for quite some time. So your next step is to confirm whether or not they're following you to the best of your ability. Um, And to do that, one thing you could do is cross the street and see if they follow you or to take a turn somewhere and see if they follow you. Do something deliberate that would, if they do that also, would make it pretty obvious to you that they actually are following you. Mm -hmm. And then once you've confirmed that they are following you, the next step would be probably to confront them. And I say probably because, again, this seems a little bit strange to some people and it's not always the best uh, response in a situation. Um, there might be, if depending on where you are, if there's somewhere uh, that you can go, like you can go indoors somewhere where that if this person did have violent intent, Mm-hmm. They likely wouldn't be able to execute it in that place. You might just go into that place instead of confronting them. Um, but if the, those options aren't available for you, you might consider confronting them. And you would turn around and ask them if they're following you. Um, and we have a hard time doing that because our social our social calibration is always on and we don't want right. to seem paranoid to this person or we don't right. want to you know, embarrass ourselves if they're not following us. But this is one of those things where where training is really important. So you're just used to doing that. And as a side note, what I recommend is a lot of um, kind of what I call social freedom drills, where you go out in public and you do stupid shit. (laughs) And 
you and it can you can turn into a game you almost like pretending you're with your your buddies in high school again or something where you're kind of daring each other to do things you know that that are are legal and within reason right. um but that are totally socially off the script and mm -hmm. could be embarrassing um you know why i dare you to to walk up to that person uh clucking like a chicken and just walk by them clucking like a chicken right. and some people are like they can't do that so if you can't do something like that then there's a good chance you can't when it really matters turn around and say to a stranger hey man are you following me you've just been you've been behind me for a while sorry if i'm being paranoid you know you can say it like that you know it yeah. doesn't there, there are some I've heard it taught where, you know, you turn around and you, you put your hands up and you say, you know, are you following me? And there are <laughs> there are a lot more nuanced kind of social ways to do this. You know, you can say right off the bat, hey, look, sorry if this sounds paranoid, but have you been following me? Now, what this does is if they aren't following you, they probably you'll probably never see them again and they'll just call you a weirdo maybe and they'll go off on their merry way so the consequences aren't that bad from right. the social ones but we inflate them you know like like a teenager does you know i right. can't i can't possibly uh you know you name it and then if they are following you at least you what's likely is if they're following you they had a plan they had a script that involves you not confronting them right. and so if you do confront them you've just become a much more difficult target and the whole situation that they've planned out isn't going according to plan anymore so it's very likely that they'll bail you know even if they were to follow you they'll they'll say uh no no sorry must be a misunderstanding and kind of go their merry way and and worst case scenario if they are following you and they're going to attack you anyway at least you're facing them yeah, that's at least right. you're not going to be attacked from behind, right. uh, and you've started to to bring yourself out of that that state of denial, where you can you can at least somewhat be prepared to deal with violence much more than if you're even if you keep looking behind you, right. much yeah. it's still much worse because you're still saying to yourself on some level this isn't happening this isn't happening this isn't happening, and if you if you make the decision something that's very socially risky to turn around and ask somebody if they're following you, you've at least somewhat overcome that denial and admitted to yourself that there may be a situation. Right. And then, you know, and if that's the case and they do attack, you're facing them, then you fight and you right. fight hard. You fight like your life depends on it because it very well may depend on it. Right. And you don't worry about their health and their safety. Now I know this contradicts, kind of what I was saying before about legal consequences. But the difference is once the threat is eliminated, once you've stopped them. So for example, if I, you know, if I smash this person in the face three times and they start to go, holy shit, and they start to retreat and run away, mm -hmm. that's it. I've, I've, remember, we go back to the goal. What's the goal? Always. Our ultimate goal is to go home safely. Right. So he's now running the other way. I can go home safely. I've finished it. Right. I do not chase after him to beat him yeah. down more. Do not do or that. If I, yeah, or if I smash him in the face, you know, he's, he attacks me, I smash him in the face and I knock him unconscious and he's laying on the ground unconscious. Mm -hmm. Now I can call the police. Now I can leave the scene to right. go get help or whatever. I'm safe. I can go home safely. He's not a threat to me anymore. I right. don't sit on top of him and keep punching his unconscious face. Right. Uh, that those are the kinds of things that are going to traumatize you and get you into legal trouble. So, but while the fight is going on, while while uh, he, this person is a threat to you, mm -hmm. you have to put all of your you, and, and this is like a, it's like a emotional psychological exercise in itself of like mustering up all your reasons for living, you know, right. all your reasons for wanting to be alive right. and for wanting to go home safely right. and, and using that as fuel to just, just, just fight like an animal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, but with being followed, the last thing I want to say is that you know, you want to you wanna nip 
any potentially violent situation in the bud before uh, it becomes potentially violent. And so again, all the, those steps that I kind of follow, those suggestions, they are rooted in, in, um, in SEPS, S-E-P-S. Um, so you can look them up it's, um, by uh, Gershon Ben-Karen. Um, but I would take it a step further and I would say if you're really doing it right, and of course, nothing always goes, not, not everything goes perfectly. But if you're, what your goal should be is to not even be followed in the first place. Because predators choose, usually choose a target and they choose it very carefully. Mm-hmm. In most cases, they'll conduct surveillance beforehand and look for, you know, a bunch of reasons why you should be their target. Mm-hmm. And if you are situationally aware you are likely not somebody they're going to start to follow. No guarantees, but right. you you give yourself a much better chance of not being a victim. Because right. when we go to situational awareness, every every teacher I've ever had or anybody I've ever learned from that's talked about situational awareness says the same thing about it, which I think is true. It's like, what even is it? Stop telling people to be more situationally aware. <laughs> Stop just saying that. And start actually defining it. And mm-hmm. I completely agree with that, right? Oh, you need to be more aware. Be more aware of your surroundings. Well, what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. There's an exercise you can do. And this comes from a guy named uh, Richard Dimitri. He is a Canadian. He's out of Montreal. And he is one of the, uh, you know, when it comes to no bullshit, when it comes to somebody who practices what he preaches in terms of violence not being a joke. Violence is not the same as martial arts. Stop kidding yourselves. Violence involves, you know, the the trauma of violence, the the social side of it, everything. If you're one of those people who just wants violence to be like this glorified martial arts situation, go watch a couple YouTube videos from Richard Dimitri and just he will verbally set you straight and just sober <laughs> you up. Really, he's 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 incredible. So um, I think this he has this online on a, on a YouTube video where while you're walking down the street, if you get in a habit of naming things, now he goes as far as to say anything that happens kind of outside of what you, your normal field of vision or your normal uh, like level of volume. So like if you're, you know, if you're in a suburb, um, maybe the sound of like cars passing by a busy street is kind of normal. But so anything louder than that, like if all of a sudden a big truck honks its horn or something, mm. or you hear somebody scream, you you actually point to the direction that that noise came from and you label it. You actually say car uh, truck horn, person screaming. Mm. And you do that for the same of people or things coming into your peripheral vision. So you're walking, you're looking straight ahead and then, you know, you see a person cross the street in front of you, you know, you say a uh, woman crossing the street, uh, dog barking, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, the way I like to do it is a little different. Um, I don't like to limit it to just what is outside of normal volume or, or visual field. I like to actually just play a little game of I spy with myself <laughs> and just... Just look look for things and sounds um, mm. and just name them. But so whichever approach you take, the point is that you're present. You are you are absolutely present to your environment and surroundings, where to the point where you are speaking and in some cases pointing at things regularly. So imagine you're a predator. And you're in maybe you're in a kind of crowded area or whatever, and you're looking for that person you want to follow mm-hmm. so that you can, whatever, mug them, kidnap them, who knows. You're looking for them. And there are other people around. So, you know, you, you don't have to be the most unlikely target. You just have to be more unlikely than someone else, which right. sounds really awful. But you know, usually a predator has already decided that they're out for blood, that they're going to prey on somebody. And it's just a matter of choosing who. So it's not like Mm -hmm. if they can't have you, it's not like they're just going to go home and say, well, I I couldn't have that person. So forget it. They're going to find someone else. So 
you now imagine you're you're that predator and you're gonna choose somebody and you see somebody walking upright looking around all the time pointing at things mm. and it's like i think um Richard Dimitri says he's like you you know you look like the fucking terminator or something like that which is <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's true. true like of all the people to choose that I'm going to follow until I can get them alone and mug them or it's it's not going to be that person be, right right and a lot of people are used to doing the opposite they have headphones in uh you know their hoodie up uh yeah, looking maybe. at the ground or they're just lost in thought which I'm very guilty of, you know, as somebody who's just very in my head, I'm a thinker, I'm, a, I'm always planning, I'm rehearsing in my head, you know, I've got a busy life sometimes, so it's always kind of like on to the next thing. And so mm-hmm. for your mental health, I mean, being present, we know meditation has huge benefits, right? We've talked about that in other episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so meditating is a great way to just supplement self-protection training, believe it or not. Like if your meditation not only makes you feel better in general and improve your mental health, but it improves then if you're getting used to being mindful and you take that out into the street, you're going to be safer and vice versa. It's if you can get your headphones out of your ears, if you can get your head up looking at where you're going and starting to notice things around you, the world is colored differently than if you're thinking in your head. And so not only are you making yourself less of a victim, but you're also just improve your, it's a form of meditation. You're being mindful and you're probably improving your mental health just by engaging in this kind of personal safety drill. Yeah. Some people call it walking meditation. You're just Hmm. ever present and noticing. Yeah. That's, that's all really crazy. I'm glad you covered some of like the psychology of the actual criminal because I know we talked about the psychology of of the victim, um, but it's kind of it's interesting to kind of get inside of the criminal's mind to to see like how they determine who they're going to attack and like why they might do the things that they do and act the way that they act. So that's really really cool. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else to add? What pe- people, if they're interested in this stuff, I'm sure they can contact you. Um, yep. Uh, so if any listeners have any questions or are interested in, you know, training in the Tangier area or uh, virtual stuff, anything related to self-defense that I can help with, um, you can contact me on Instagram. My um my page for for movement coaching and self defense in martial arts is uh, is moves with coombs with underscores between them. So moves underscore with underscore, and then coombs is our last name C O O M B S. And then also just I just want to name a couple resources in case people you know don't feel like talking to me but want <laughs> to just read or or search some videos on their own. Um, like I said before, Richard Dimitri uh, is amazing, and he has a free resource that's kind of new, uh, Um Seps, I mentioned, Gershon Benkaren. Uh, he also has two, um, two published books on Krav Maga and self-defense. No, three. Um, Krav Maga, Real World Solutions to Real World Violence. Um, and if you search Seps, you can find this this conceptual stuff also um tony blower and the spear system is another one that really takes into account not just the psychology but the physiology he's very tony blower is very physiology based where it's what is our and krav maga does this too your natural flinch response and kind of mm. use, using that as a reference point but tony blower goes very deep into um what happens physiologically under stress and how to weaponize your natural human response. Uh, great, great stuff from him. So, uh, yeah, his system is called the spear system and there are plenty others probably, but those are, those are three to definitely get you started if you want some outside resources.
Awesome. And then as always, if you guys have any questions about this episode or questions specifically for Griffin, you can always uh, send us messages on our Instagram. Um, and that's at what's going on here. And there are underscores in between. So it's what's underscore going underscore on underscore here. So feel free to message us there. Nice. I think we've plugged everything. I think so. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Griff. Thanks for sharing all of your insights and expertise in, in self-defense. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Till next time. Goodbye, folks. Hey, what's going on here?